0: We are still going through, and we've been going through for quite some time, the books of the Bible. Uh, I don't know when we started, but uh, it was a long time ago. Uh, And uh, we are on Jude tonight, which is the second to last book of the Bible. Uh, And so uh, Revelation is next week, and that is the last one. And pray for Brother Barry as he tries to get all the Revelation into one hour. If anyone can do it, he can do it, so it'll be good. But uh, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll look at Jude tonight. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness in our lives. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises, your truth of your word, and I thank you for always being with us. I thank you for the cooler weather and just the seasons of life, and I pray that the weather would just be a reminder that there are seasons even even in our Christian life, uh, good, difficult seasons, cold, dry, warm seasons, uh, and I pray that we would be steadfast to follow you with our whole hearts, because we know you uh, always are faithful in loving us and giving your, us your grace and your mercy. I pray that you would bless our time tonight as we look at the book of Jude. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you go to a concert or you go to a special event, uh, like remember before COVID, they would have like these big events in these big arenas, and it'd be, you know, uh, a Country concert or uh, or whatever, and and uh, before they put on the or rodeo, the Houston rodeo, any of these big events, before they do all of that, they have someone has to go in, and they have to they're the riggers. They put up the sound equipment, they put up the lights, they put up the tweeters and the subwoofers and all the speakers, so you can be deaf by the end of the concert. They put up all this stuff, and it all has to hang from the rafters in these huge arenas. The riggers. Uh, as I'll call them, are the people that go in and hang all this stuff. Now they're hanging from <laughs> the, the ceiling, the roof. If you talk to any rigger, the rigger would rather there not be any ceiling tile, acoustical tile, like right under the thing that makes it look aesthetically good. And, and uh, they, don't, they, they would rather just see 300 feet down, they would rather see the ground below, the floor below, that if they fall they will go splat on the floor because if they have like ceiling tile that's hanging just under the roof, it gives them a false sense of assurance that they're okay. When actuality, if they're not strapped to the whatever and have all the safety things going, if they put a foot and they expect that to support their weight, they're going to go right through that ceiling grid and they will be going splat to the floor. It actually gives them a false sense of of assurance, of security. That ceiling grid. Sometimes there are things in our lives, our personal, our spiritual lives. Sometimes there's even things in the church that can give us a false sense of security. Dangerous things that look safe, but actually they're not very safe at all. We should be alert to things that are looming right around the corner. We should be uh, on guard. We should be re- uh, ready to defend vulnerable believers in the church. There's things called heresy or false doctrines that can enter the church. There's people that are believers or Christians, but for one reason or another, they get off track, they get sidetracked, they get off course. And before you know it, even if possibly they could even be teachers, and they're teaching things that are not biblical, that are not sound doctrine, that are not the healthy teachings of the church. And then as that goes, as the leaders go, and if they start going the wrong direction, then before you know it, the whole church is going the wrong direction and things fall apart. Jude, this is a very short letter. I could we could read the whole thing tonight, and probably still be done in an hour. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's very short in his letter. Uh, it warns of dangers of false teachers. It's similar in the teaching to First, Second, and Third John. They they're warning that the church is being persecuted. The apostles, many of the apostles at this point are, are martyred, have been killed. And is the church going to make it in the years to come, late you know, late 50 to 100 A.D.? Is the church going to survive when all the key leaders, Jesus Christ himself, the apostles, the ones that were eyewitnesses to Jesus, they're dying off or being killed? Is the church that was started by all these great men, is the church going to last? So this letter starts out with a typical greeting like most of the letters would. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Brother of James. He calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. He's a brother of James. He's probably, well, he is talking about the James, the brother of, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. James is the one that was the key leader in the church in Jerusalem. But notice that Jude didn't say he's a half-brother of Jesus Christ He's kind of being humble, okay? (laughs) Yeah, I'm the brother of James, but also that other guy called Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, I'm his half-brother, too. Then he says who he's writing to. To those who are called, who are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. He's writing to those that are called, sanctified by God, and and preserved by Jesus Christ. He's he's writing to the believers, to the people in the church, to the people that are following the gospel and living it out. Most letters, most epistles start with this kind of a greeting. And from there, you're like, okay, here comes some doctrine. If you're like in Ephesians or Galatians, and he's going to, this is what you got to believe. And and then the end of it's going to be, okay, this is how you live it out, right? That's what you would expect. But he doesn't write that. He starts in verse 3 and he says his purpose for the letter. He says, beloved, our friends. He's going to say that beloved several times throughout this short letter. Uh, in verse 17, but you, beloved, remember the words. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. These are the friends. These, he cares about the, who specifically is he writing to. We're not 100% sure exactly who. James is not central in Jerusalem. He's probably around in churches around the area. Um, but he obviously cares about that. He cares uh, deeply about them. And and as you look in this short letter, he's gonna talk about some of Jewish, uh, Jewish history of the Jewish people. So he's probably writing to some Jewish believers. Um, those that are called, sanctified, and preserved in Jesus Christ. The message he's going to get to in, in verse 3. And he, he kind of he starts with a kind of typical greeting. But then in verse 3 he says, his, and 4 says the real purpose he's writing. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once uh, for all delivered to the saints. He's asking them to contend for the faith. Evidently, there are some people that have entered these churches that are not... Not good for the church. They are believing things that are not from the Holy Scriptures, or not things that the apostles have taught, not the common faith that has been passed down. And it's threatening the church. It's threatening the church from lasting. He says, I wanted to talk to you about Jesus, but because these people are in this church uh, and they're causing a mess, I need to address this and address this forcefully right now. And then what are these people doing, these heretics? For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They've come into the church and uh, they're not understanding the grace of God. They come into the church, believers, and... uh, and the grace of God is not leading them towards repentance. No, they kind of approach the grace of God with this idea of, okay, I have the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God. I've experienced that, so, and I believe that, so therefore I can live however I choose. Get that? I have God's grace. I have God's forgiveness. I have God that loves me. All true. But then... They can live however they want, which would include sin and can include anything. What the Bible says is wrong. I can do that if I so desire because I have the grace and forgiveness and repentance of God. Their their lifestyle, they're not living the way they should. Jude and James are very short letters, uh, both both written by the half-brothers of Jesus. Both letters hammer lifestyle. Both letters are hitting the morality of these believers. It's a ton of application. They hammer at the how you live as much as what you believe. That this idea of obedience to the scriptures, this idea I'm going to follow God's uh, parameters for my life, his, his, his ways, his scriptures, his word, I'm going to live that out. Uh, they're missing the idea of what God's grace really is. If the grace of God leads... Anyone into sin, I'm not sure that person understands a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If I approach Christianity with, okay, now I can get away with whatever I want, uh, you're missing it. <laughs> uh, you should approach it more of like uh, the Romans road, all sin falls short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is glory through Jesus His son. I'm a, I, I'm a nothing. I'm a sinner deserving of eternal death and separation from God. Yet, because he's gracious, he sent his son to die for me and my sin. If we understand a relationship with God and walking with God and the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, then we should mourn and uh, uh, be, be leery of sinning. I should not be okay with sin. The Holy Spirit that comes into my life as I'm a Christian says, uh, it should convict me and say, yeah, that sin is not, it's not honoring God. You've got to give that up. You need to repent of that, and then you need to change your life. But there's these believers in this church, this early church, and they are, they're okay with sin. They're not, they're not understanding the grace of God and the right relationship with Jesus Christ that should come through that. And then he's going to go and talk about these, uh, these heretics in the church, this, this apostasy that is going on. Verse 5, but I want to remind you, though you, uh, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual morality and gone after strange flesh, Sodom and Gomorrah are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. He starts here with he's talking about these apostates, these people that are in the church, and he's he's saying the judgment of God in history for the Jews, God has judged evil throughout history. And he will judge evil again, even if it's in the church. So he, he, again, he, he's he's saying... Contend uh, for the faith. Uh, defeat or, or rebuke uh, heresy inside the church. Stand for the truth of the word of God. Stand for what is right and protect the church. And then verse 5 and through 7, what I just read. He saved the people out of Egypt from slavery, but he destroyed those who didn't believe in him. The angels, he talks about angels uh, who who. who who rebelled against God. Of course, a third of the angels are cast with Satan out of heaven. Uh, And then he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah and just the sexual uh, immorality, the the perverse uh, relations that are going on, and God burned the whole city. Okay, So Jude is not holding any punches when he's talking about uh, this heresy in the church, these people that are not uh, living like they should for the for the teachings of God. So then he's going to go and then he talks about uh, he's going to say in verse 11 woe to them for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam, the for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Nothing but judgment, nothing but damnation, nothing but paying the price of their rebellion. So he's painting this picture throughout history God has God has rightfully judged those that are doing evil and are not living for him. Now hear what he says about these false teachers in verse 12. These are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up of their own shame, wandering stars for whom... Is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. That's the kind of preaching many of us grew, grew up on. They would call it uh, hellfire and brimstone. <laughs> uh, it's uh, uh, he's not. He's saying uh, it's not good for these. It won't be good for these people, and it's they're going to be depraved. They're going to be doomed. They're waterless clouds. They're stars that wander. They're trees without any fruit. Uh, that they will gloom in utter darkness and destiny. These apostates are are going to be judged by God. Verse 14, now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them all of their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Just in those two verses, how many times did he say ungodly? (laughs) Four or five. Uh, He goes on to describe them more. And it's not not a surprise to God that this has entered the church and was a threat uh, to the followers of Christ. Uh, These are grumblers, complainers, walking around in their own lusts. and And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How he told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons whose cause divisions, not having the spirit. So he doesn't paint a pretty picture uh, for these these apostates in the church. Um, God's going to judge them. And then there is a big but in verse 20, and he totally changes his tone and, uh, and his, his outlook, his view of what is happening. Um, and he's going to talk not to those that are the false teachers in the church, but he's going to talk to those that are the true believers in the church, those that are following God with their whole heart, those that are following his scriptures and following his ways, not just in theology And knowing what they believe, but actually in their application, and in their walk, their daily walk, they are following God and his ways with their whole heart. So the first part, you see this brutality, this hostility, this attack on those false teachers in the church. And uh, anyone that denies who Jesus is and what he does, and even his his angels, you badmouth his angels, you badmouth everything, Uh, he's hostile towards them, he attacks them, he rebukes them. But then he changes in verse 20. For those who do claim Jesus and honor him, he's going to say something totally different. But you, beloved friends, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and to eternal life. And you know, some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So the first part, false teachers deny them, defeat them, cast them out, rebuke them. True believers build up. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Look for ways to show the mercy of Jesus Christ to others. Sometimes show compassion. Find ways to pull those that are going to suffer the eternal fire. Find ways to save people that need saving. So you see these two opposing exhortations from Jude. On the one hand... Resist heresy. Resist it. Take a, take a stand. Define, defend truth. The truth of God's word. All of God's word. Not part of God's word. Not picking and choosing the parts I want to believe. It's either all or none. It's either yes, I believe God's word or no, I don't. But stand for the truth and defy heresy. Resist it. And on the other extreme, rest in the love of God reside in his love show love understanding mercy compassion towards those and try to save all you can help to lead toward the saving grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ they're both in this short letter and they're both right to do and they're both necessary to do for the church and as an individual as a Christian a believer but the key is There has to be a balance of both of those two extremes. And honestly, many churches go to one of two extremes. We either go to this camp or we'll say this camp over here. This camp. I'm going to defend the truth and I'm going to bring judgment and I'm going to air everyone's sin in front of everybody and I'm going to make everyone's on the straight and narrow and I'm going to say what is scripture? I'm going to defend it. I'm going to fight for it and anything that's in the community or anything that's Not according to scriptures, I'm going to call it out, and I'm going to hammer, 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 and judge, 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 and be legalistic, legalistic, legalistic. You go the other extreme, some churches, we love everybody. Everybody is welcome in our church. Whatever you believe, you will find a home here in our church. Oh, that's what you believe on marriage? That's what you believe on abortion? That's what you believe on the scriptures? That's fine. That's what you think about sin? We don't really talk about sin. We just talk about the love of grace of God and the forgiveness of God. You know there's churches that err on both of those extremes. You notice here and I think the challenge for those in pastoral leadership and, and everyone in every church, they're both important. There are times when you have to stand for the truth and you have to call sin a sin. And you have to there has to be maybe some uh, church discipline it's in the scriptures there's times for a church discipline but it doesn't not everything needs to be a public show and a scarlet letter kind of an event um, but uh, there's other times uh, there needs to be a leniency towards love and forg- forgiveness and grace and realizing that some do fall some uh, some are just struggling, and if and if they're struggling, there's Christians, but they're struggling in the church, they're struggling in their faith, they're struggling to do the right things in their daily lives. They're not second class Christians. They're not. Uh, they're struggling with sin. Okay. Um, Beth Moore uh, is a a huge uh, uh, women's ministry. She does a lot of conferences and and led a lot of women. Uh, to to, towards Christ she's a great public speaker but she in the last year or two she's made some public letters be known and she's kind of um she tried to write a letter about the SBC and some of her experiences she's encountered in the Southern Baptist Convention and some ways that men in the SBC and have treated her and all of this stuff uh and uh there was a guy called uh, Seth Dunn, and, and he, uh, he commented on her little letter, and uh, he's some kind of preacher with a blog and some sort of Internet something. He has a group of people that follow him, but uh, he, re- he writes a response letter to her, and he says, "Miss Moore, you're a really bad teacher, not because you're a woman, just because you're a bad teacher, so that's clear. He's not sexist, so that's good. Uh, and uh, he says, I detest you, and uh, every Bible-believing pastor detests you. He knows every (laughs) Bible-believers, what they think about Beth Moore. Do you see how he's gone too far in the, uh, I'm going to bring all of this judgment and what's right, and I'm going to stand for the truth, and obviously Beth Moore is not the truth. Is that so obvious? I think she has done a lot of good things for uh, for the church and for Christian believers. So I think that's one example of going way too far the legalistic way. But you can also go too far the other way, like Joe Osteen or a Rob Bell. Uh, everyone's going to heaven. It doesn't really matter what you believe. Uh, we're all going to wind up uh, being all in heaven. Hell's probably not even real because that doesn't make sense. Uh, nobody would go to hell. We would all go to heaven because we're all good people, right? Uh, no, that's not good. I'm going to do a little bit of Revelation, Brother Barry. I'll leave plenty for you to cover tomorrow night, next week. But uh, flip over to Revelation two two. Revelation—it just should be one page over. Yeah. Revelation two two. John is going to write. I know your works. He's talking about different churches. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Which camp are they in? The testers, rebukers, or the ever love-everyone camp? Testers, rebukers, they've tested. They've kept the truth, the truth. They've called out the falsehood and all the things. But then he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. The problem is they left loving Jesus Christ and forget that they experienced that forgiveness, acceptance of Jesus Christ. And now they've turned totally legalistic against everything and there's not a balance. And God says, I'm going to hold this against the loveless church. And flip over to chapter 3. He also writes to a dead church. I'm sorry. Uh, go back to uh, chapter 2, verse 19. That's what I wanted to do. Two nineteen. He writes to the corrupt church, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that, you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce. My servants to commit sexual morality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I give her time to repent of her sexual morality and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am who searches the minds and hearts. This church is in the other camp. They're in the love Jesus camp. Everything's okay. It's always a happy day in the church. Everything's good. In reality, they allowed a prophetess to enter their church, and she's creating all kinds of uh, havoc. And God says, you didn't do anything about it. I will take care of it. These two examples, you see that God expects the church and the believers in the church to balance standing for the faith, defending the faith, the truth of the scriptures. The, the, the word of uh, the apostles has been passed down throughout history. Stand for what is true, but also balance it with loving, showing the love of God to others. What you have experienced, show it to them. Where there can be compassion and forgiveness, give that. But not at the expense of there is no more absolute truth. There is no more you can't teach on certain passages of the Bible because that's going to offend some people. The Bible is offensive because it's the God of the universe that created the world, and He gets to make the rules: what is right and what is wrong. But we live in a day and age that says no one can tell me what is right or wrong for me. I am my own God. I am my own. Uh, I I make all my own choices, and then I determine how my life is going to unfold. I control my own destiny right that's not scriptural not according to God so he wants this balance in the church Um, you got to have this love but you also got to have standing for the truth may there be a balance make sure that we deal with the truth of scriptures we stand for the truth but also do it make sure we stay in the love of Jesus Uh, don't go too far to one extreme or the other. Um, Some churches, uh, you know, as long as I just do a four-week marriage series every other quarter, uh, and then I do a, you know, four steps to make your life happy series, and then I do a how to balance your checkbook series, and then I could do a, uh, whatever, and you're like, did you ever open the scriptures? Did you ever teach the Bible the word of God? Uh, which I am a big fan of going through the books of the Bible and even preaching through the books of the Bible because then you have to teach the whole counsel of God's words. And even as a pastor, I can't pick and choose and say, oh, man, this one's on divorce. It's going to be a tough one. Let's just skip that one. Or this one is on uh Uh, whatever it is racial tensions this one's on racial tensions you see a lot of sermons on that today not really but is God's word applicable to this conversation absolutely were there racial tensions in the first century absolutely Jews and Gentiles hated each other teach the whole counsel of God's word and there needs to be a balance of truth but it has to be objective truth it's not false teaching if we don't have a perfect answer to everything. God's uh, word, I think on certain topics, is pretty crystal clear where he stands. But then there are some other topics. He doesn't fill in all the gaps and, and, and say, you know, it just makes sense. And one, two, three, four, five, these are the five points of what God says, and that makes it sense. Um, for instance uh brother barry will do a good job next week in an hour somehow by the grace of god explaining the whole revelation uh, book of god uh and uh but there's some different interpretations out there and some people are pre and some people are post and some people are whatever and and uh i'm pretty sure we're going to find some of both camps in heaven one day and i don't think we have to live or die based on you're a pre or you're a post or whatever and i got it all figured out some t- some areas God doesn't fill in all of the things because he's God and he can tell us what he wants he also doesn't say when he's going to come back he is but no one knows exactly when even the people that predict it was last week or that it was a couple years ago they were all wrong because we're still here so some things uh, are pretty clear I think what what is based on God's word what is proper grounds for divorce I don't have time to cover all of that. And there are probably some scenarios that, yeah, divorce is a good answer for that situation. Generally speaking, he's against divorce. The scriptures are against it. But you could come up with situations where maybe that is the best answer. And we would probably have differing opinions on what should I do in that situation. There are other things in God's word through his teaching that are absolutes. Is God sovereign? If you don't believe God is sovereign, that's going to be a deal breaker. Is the Bible true? Is all of the Bible true? Does the blood of Jesus work and give forgiveness for sin? Is the church uh, undefeatable? Is Jesus Christ coming back? According to the scriptures, he is. He's coming again. There are some things that are deal breakers and some things that are not. We have to stand on objective truth, not subjective truth. Second John, Third John, Jude, all say that there has to be this balance between standing for the truth and doing it with a heart of love, grace, and humility. Um, I think it'd be a good idea uh, if we read Jude maybe once a month. Even for pastors, would be a good idea to remind ourselves it's it's a it's a balance. Has to be a balance. As a pastor, associate pastor in a church, there are um, there are people in the flock that are in all different uh, levels of their Christian walk. Some are going to be in church every time it's open. Maybe even when it's not open, they're going to be at church. Maybe they'll just spend the night at church and do lock-ins for the youth. Who knows? They just love to be at church. Uh, and they're doing all their daily Bible quiet times and they're just walking, they're on fire with God and there's other people that uh, maybe are new believers and I have good days and bad days and I'm stru- I'm trying to apply God's word in my life but I need a lot of forgiveness and I mess up a lot and I need encouragement and then there are some that come to church that are simply lost as a goose, they have no idea um, probably not even a relation. there are people in the church don't have a relationship with God there are people probably like that, um, and so as a pastor, as associate pastor, we have to realize as we deal with the flock, uh, where you need to challenge, to exhort, to uh, to call out sin. That needs to be done, but it has to be done in a a loving way, in a redeeming, rebuilding, uh, uh, reconciliation attitude and a heart. Because the goal is that all the people will be saved from the fire of hell. Isn't that the goal? That's what he says be, uh, back in Jude. Uh, be faithful unto death. And uh, Nope, that's not it. The mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh, to try to get them back on track to following Christ. So I think it'd be a good idea to read this book. It would take five minutes to read the whole thing. It's a very short book. So we need to deal with the truth correctly, but I must love people as I, as we do that, do it in a loving way. If you think of Jesus, I mean, in all of his encounters with people, uh, the one where you can see he did this—well, he did it every time he did it because he's fully God and fully man, but. The woman at the well that's living in adultery and has many relations with all sorts of men and a very uh, un kind of behavior happening in her life. Does Jesus stand for the truth and that she shouldn't live that way? He does. But how does he do it? He does it in a loving way. He wants to give her a salvation that can restore her and redeem her and get her on the right track. Um. I know that we are independent Baptist church. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Uh, I still probably call myself a Southern Baptist. So I keep up with SBC and I keep up with uh, colleges and, and in the last couple of decades and different colleges supported by the SBC. <coughs> in the 1980s, the president of Baylor University, uh, he said he didn't believe that the Bible was totally true. My dad went to Baylor. He was a sick on bears kind of a guy. And uh, the president of the Baptist University in Texas says, I don't believe that the whole Bible is true. Do you think there was a huge outlash of anger and many letters to the editor? And it got ugly. Not too ugly. Didn't really get that ugly. A year or two later, they brought dancing to the campus. Uh, And uh, scriptures really don't, Prohibit dancing David danced and there was dancing there's inappropriate dancing but I'm not sure if we need to die on that hill and uh, when he brought dancing to campus that's when all the letters and the outrage began not that I don't think the whole scripture is authoritative and true do you see the problem with that we're dying on the hill of subjectivity And we're letting the objective things that it should be very clear that we should stand for, we're letting that go by the wayside. The amount of seminaries that stand that the whole word of God is true is is, is smaller probably each year. I got my doctorate from Southwestern, and it's a conservative seminary that believes in the whole doctrine and the word of God. We have to stand for truth, and there are times when you must take a stand. And uh, do it in a loving way. I think a great example would be uh, last Sunday night we started a video series called In His Image. And it talks about a biblical view of uh, gender identity and sexual identity, which is, uh, is the issue of right now. If you have, uh, I have two teenagers. I think yep, she's still 19, almost 20, but uh, two teenagers and it's the issue. What are your pronouns? I'm like, what do you mean? His? I mean, it was clear to me, and, I, and I, my generation, like, uh, what? Isn't the enemy really good at deceiving? But we started down the slippery slope many years before that, you know. Uh, abortion was legalized. Um, the gay gay word, the gay word, and the movement just. Grew and grew and grew, and then a couple of years ago, we say gay marriage is constitutional, accepted, and now we wonder where the slippery slope will end. It doesn't end. The enemy is just deceiving, 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 and churches and and uh, are trying to say, well, we got to take a stand, we got to draw a line in the sand. And I think I do think we should. And I think, and even I know Blaze and Pastor as they were having discussions, they even in a video series that has done well. If a person comes in that is struggling with that, and if you hear the words that even Blaze says that I think has been coached by a pastor, we're not condemning, we're not trying to judge and be, and be legalistic and hammer and whatever. We're trying to, to give us ammo and ammunition to love those that are struggling with sin in their lives. And this particular sin is I struggle with my identity. I don't know what gender I am. Well you don't know that when you don't know you have a creator and you don't know that there's a created you created specifically the way you are with your specific sex. so I think that's a great example that it churches and our church for, for and hopefully many churches are taken and saying we have to uh, we have to take a stand on this issue, which I think we are. stand for the truth, stand for the whole counsel of god's word. there has to be a balance. And that's what he's saying in this journey. He ends it with just a great doxology. And verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Stay in the love of God. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. Stay in the boundaries and the guard lines and the the warnings of scripture to say don't let things and protect your eyes and guard your heart. And all these biblical warnings that says uh, sin will always take you to places farther than you wanted to go. It will deceive you. He is the great deceiver. He is the roaring lion. He is the one that wants to devour people. Believers, non-believers, doesn't matter to him. I'm sure he loves getting believers off track because then you got the hypocrite thing going. You got the, well, everyone else hates you because now, you know, uh, you're all alone and then they can iso- he can isolate and then it just cycles. Which is why I think, I think Jude says, look for those that are struggling. For yourself, keep yourself in the faith. Do the things that God loves and stay away from the things that God does not love. General practice here. Look for those that you can help to encourage to bring back into the fold. Um, as I close tonight, there's a big push, and I guess before before COVID hit, it was all about well, in the last decade or two, it's all about the numbers. How many? It's all about the numbers. How many people you got in your church? How many people come every Sunday? Well, now I guess you would say, how many people are signed in online? How many people are I guess you count those. I don't know how it works. Um, But uh, hopefully in the last two years, people have noticed that I I need to not be alone. I need to be with God's people. I need to be encouraged. I need to hear God's word. Uh, It's not as good as being in person as signing online. Uh, But the numbers in seats and the numbers of your church, God doesn't care how many numbers of people you have in your church. God cares how healthy your church is and the people that are in it. Um, as I close in in First and Second Timothy, he uses uh, the word "higazo," uh, which to means uh, hygiene. We get that word from it. It means health or well-being. First uh, 1 Timothy 1.10, he's going to say you have sound doctrine. Or the sound word is, is the word. Second Timothy one seven. Uh, he he says, Second uh, Timothy one thirteen, sound sound words, and then go to Second Timothy four, and I'm going to end with this. Second Timothy four. Timothy four two. Timothy 4, 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Even in that, convince, rebuke, exhort, but then also do it with long-suffering, with love, teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth. Is that not the day, the time we're living in right now? Pastor, I need you to preach on more of what I want to hear you say. Teach on what I need. Make it about me. No, and they're not enduring in sound doctrine. They're not balanced. That word balance again. Standing for the truth, defending the truth, but then also... Encouraging, loving, giving grace where it can be extended. I think that's a challenge for us as believers in Christ. It's a challenge for us as Kelview Heights Baptist Church. Um, It's the challenge to live that out every day. And uh, I think reading this short little little book occasionally uh, would be a great reminder to all of us to live that out. So uh, that's my challenge for tonight. Let me close with a prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your scriptures. I thank you for your love that we get to experience in our lives. I thank you for being a God that does judge evil. You judge unrighteousness. And uh, and you're also a God that loves and gives grace and mercy. You are that same God. And I pray that as we, as your followers, uh, it's not our job to judge people, but it is our job to stand for the truth, to uh, to um, call heresy what it is, to stand for your scriptures, to defend it, to make sure your church is salt and light in this this world, that there is a difference in between the church and the unchurch. But then also I pray that we would balance it and that we would live out our Christian lives in a way that exhibits and shows our love and your love towards others and even those that are struggling and those that haven't found your redemption yet haven't found your hope uh they're okay with sin and uh, i pray that we would be long suffering and we would be patient uh to show them your love so that one day they would turn to it where there needs to be conviction and 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 calling out I pray that we would do that but i pray that we would do it in a loving manner to stand for your truth so that more people might come to to know you as their lord and savior I thank you for the the letter of Jude, and I thank you for the challenge of it, and pray that we would live that out in our lives and in our church until you come again. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.